Welcome to another episode of the Emma G Podcast. Luke Hersherson is my guest on this episode of the show, and I don't want to brag, but it turns out he's a fan. So my welcome to him was especially warm, and I was really pleased to be able to spend some time with him to have a good old chat. Now, Luke is a huge name in the industry. He has worked with the best, and is the best. He's worked with the likes of Sienna Miller, Emma Watson, Giselle, as well as former podcast guest Sally Hughes, and Victoria Beckham. He's regularly featured in Vogue, W, ID Magazine, and has worked on huge campaigns, on massive shoots, Fashion Week, you name it, he's done it. In this chat, we actually cover a lot of ground, and while hair is in his blood, Luke knew from a very, very young age that without any doubt what his career was going to be. We chat about that, about being creative, and about having a drive and a passion for what you do. We also talk about balance, how to find calm and how to avoid stress, or better still, which is brilliant actually, the way Luke put it, is how to make stress your friend. And we also both talk about our experiences with anxiety. There's also talk about social media, um, how we both um, perhaps naively thought, oh, it was never gonna take on uh, about a decade ago when, every, when things like Twitter and Facebook started cropping up but also um, the healthy ways that you can embrace it, as well as how to set goals and progress in your career. We recorded the show at the Hirschston Salon on Conduit Street in central London, one of my favorite places. And you can hear the wear of hair dryers and the chatter of a busy salon floor, but just barely. I love recording these podcasts and I hope you're enjoying them too. And my conversation with Luke felt really special and I was incredibly grateful for his time and generosity. This is also a very good time to mention that I'm recording my Ask Me Anything episode in the next couple of days. So if you're listening to this when it goes live um, and you have any questions that you'd like me to answer, then please email them to me at beautypodcast at gmail.com. Also, a little bit of news this week. The podcast was featured on Get the Gloss, one of my favourite e-zines. I was interviewed by Anna Hunter from the website and the link to that can be found over on emmagunderwater.com as can all the links to Luke, Daniel Hirschison Salons and anything else that we mentioned during the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And here he is, the very brilliant Luke Hirschison. Here I am with Luke Hirschison in one of my favourite places in the city of London, the Daniel Hirschison Salon on Conduit Street, which is a haven for stylish, fashionable, good looking people. It's pretty slick, right? I hope so. I did. I did admire the white um, hair appliances on the way in, mm. and immediately had the impulse to. I told myself I needed them immediately. Isn't that interesting? Well, that's a nice thought. Yeah, but I generally. I mean, I did <laughs> maybe that. Maybe we're doing something right. <laughs> I did that past top shop, and I did that, but you know, maybe I'm just materialistic. <laughs> but they're very nice. Thank you. So I said we would start off this podcast with a funny story, and this is a funny story. Six years ago. Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably six years ago this month, Fashion Week. I'm dreading that. What, I'm dreading <laughs> what the story is. Um, I went to the Mulberry Party. Stop me if you begin to think. It's longer than six years ago. Oh, is it? it must be I seven. Think so. um, um, yeah, Mulberry Fashion Party. It is seven years ago this month. Um, they were serving some really quite sickly sweet cocktails, which I find incredibly drinkable. Did I drop? Did I? Did I no. spill champagne? I'm quite good at that. No. Um, 
so I was drunker than I should have been at a work event essentially hang on was this in Holland Park no no this is the Claridge's you remember when they'd done oh, yeah, the place yeah. up like a yeah oh uh, like it was um uh, a forest a forest and there yeah. was a ball and it was a picnic thing. not yes. a picnic like a campsite thing yes yeah okay. I have vague recollections so the reason why this is significant it was a dinner thing is it a dinner thing oh I don't remember eating <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. um I actually for the last seven years hearing the words Luke Kirsten have made my a chill go down my back why? because <laughs> no you didn't do anything so it was just it was around the time that you launched the fabulous clip in hair Alright. And clipping hair wasn't necessarily a new thing, because wefts, etc., have been around for a while, but those fringes were really quite impressive because they were unbelievably wearable and seamless. <laughs> and so I bought, I did get one, I was given one, but I actually bought two more because I've had, I had alopecia, so my hairline here is quite weak. So I, for a while, wore a lot of fake fringes, the okay. winges. Yeah, the winges. And I had the rock one, and I had the yeah. sort of layered one, and the shaggy one, and whatever. And I was drunk, and I was walking to the ladies, and Did you it? were coming out of the cloakroom, and I went up to you and went, "Can you tell it's a winch?" <laughs> and just didn't and didn't say hello. And didn't, didn't know. No, I didn't say no. You said hello. I didn't. I just started pointing at my hair. And I don't even remember. No, well, thank God. Anyway, so and the other thing about that evening. <laughs> But you know when you look back and you think that's not a way to act around someone who's actually really a big deal in this industry. I'm not a big deal. You are. You, you've got like these massive salons and you're, you're a big deal. Um, but then the funnier thing about that night for me was that I vaguely remember getting home. <laughs> I then contacted the office the next day and said I am back to back with shows. And I basically spent the entire day on the floor of my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think two days later I was looking through my phone and found a picture of me with Juliet Lewis. And I'd completely forgotten that I'd met flipping Juliet Lewis. At that party. At that party. Because there was a magical mystery. I think I've got really bad memory. Maybe you're maybe you're there's a self-preserving <laughs> chemical in your brain that just erased this girl running up to you and going, I'm wearing a whinge! Yeah, or maybe I was just more drunk than you were. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hope it's that. Yeah. So anyway, so you are a big deal. You must say, you, you have to accept that you're a big deal. So on one <laughs> of your podcasts, I think it was Marissa Pierce said um, about in America, people give you a compliment and they say you're great. And you're kind of like been brought up culturally to go, yeah, yeah, I am, I'm, I'm totally great, <laughs> right? <laughs> and in England, um, people give you a compliment and you deflect mm -hmm. from it, and you you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm. Oh, it's I'm, all smoke I'm, and mirrors, yeah, darling. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm crap, really. <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? Like, um, and I'm never not very good with um, people saying anything nice, so. I don't quite know how to handle it, although I'm trying to get better at taking a compliment. Okay, well, let me ask you this question, because somebody put it to me this way recently, and it made me really stop and pause, because I was saying how I felt about where I was in my career, etc., etc., and just saying there's so much more that I want to do. And they said, what would your 18-year-old self think of you? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not relevant for you because you started much earlier than that, didn't you? Um, 
Yeah, I, I've, I, I have always, I've been very lucky that I've always known what I wanted to do and I got brought up basically in hair salons. And my dad tells stories of me, of him taking me to building sites when I was about four or five and me asking <laughs> where the basins were gonna be. So there was a, there was like, I've, you know, a lot of people I think go through life and, and struggle to kind of find their path. And I've always been very like blessed and lucky that I always knew that I wanted to be fully involved in this industry in one shape or form. Even as a wee little thing. Yeah, and it, and it was not good at school because <laughs> <laughs> you try being like a, 13 year old boy in a posh school that wants to be a hairdresser it doesn't go down very well <laughs> um, where did you go to school i went to school in highgate oh. and i and i and i i really didn't like school because i just i thought it was a waste of time and i just wanted to i just wanted to get on with life and i wanted to kind of very much be a part of what my dad was doing and i used to kind of finish work and get the bus up to the salon and you know and spend my weekends in the salon in fact if if as a kid if if I was if I had been naughty or like something had gone <laughs> wrong the punishment was I couldn't come to work on Saturday which is quite weird I think for like uh so maybe I was a bit of a strange kid in that sense that you know everyone well, I was I mean, my work ethic's not strange. I've always been a bit of a workaholic, but, um, well, that's probably strange in itself, but um, I always, you know, I was lucky, you know, I really knew what I wanted to do. So for me, it was like, this is, school was pointless. I was, I I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, I'm sure there were benefits to it, but it was pointless in the sense of, um, I just wanted to get on with it. Mm. Um, And I was kind of lucky in the sense of, 12, 13, 14 I was very aware of the industry I was very aware of who was doing what I was very aware of like who my idols icons were in terms of hairdressers which I suppose most people don't get until you they actually start working at like 18, 19 and then suddenly your your eyes are opened up aren't they to the industry or maybe that comes a, a while after that mm. so I, I suppose in a, in a weird way I've got like an older um, not soul but an older like I remember further back yeah. than I. I'm, I'm 37 now, but I started young. I start. In reality, I kind of started even younger because I was quite involved, mm. like aware of it all. Do you know what I mean? You could realistically say you've got 25 years' experience, even though. Yeah, even though I was crap for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Just you've been plugged in and engaged. Yeah. Um, yes, very much so. I'm very like aware of like the industry and the people and who did what and you know just like you're just aware of it so I suppose growing up with it and, and, and just being interested in it so was there one salon when you were this four-year-old so my dad um my dad had another business he had a, he had a partner and they had a, a business together for about I don't know 20 years or so and he opened his first salon when he was 21 with the, with a couple of other hairdressers and um and I think at one point they had kind of three salons and um, yeah they were really successful and then when I was 12 it all kind of uh, it all basically went a bit tits up (laughs) and um, you know it wasn't a fun time and um, they separated and um, there was a massive period of change and then he started this on his own when I was 12 and that was his first salon under his name um so it was, it, was, uh, it was like a really massive point in his life, in a weird way, a massive point in my mm. life. Um, you know, 
think, you know, one day I went to school, it was like, my dad was this kind of, you know, really well thought of hairdresser, had this really great um, salon, they had the Royal Warren, it was all quite, you know, posh, mm. and like, you know, I think I, as much as I got bullied for being like the son of a hairdresser, there was also a slight kind of, you know, my, my dad was different and that was quite cool it, it, do you like know what I mean? rock star different yeah well I suppose if a hairdresser could be a rock star <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean and then and then all of a sudden it all went like right. everything went and it was it was bleak it was pretty bleak for a while do you think that fed into the work ethic oh, as well massive, like massively but my dad's always been my dad you know he works as hard if not harder than me still today he um, will never stop hairdressing um yeah, massively, <laughs> massively um, forms part of my work ethic. But I, it, it's interesting because um, there was, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Because are, are you quite, um, you know what the numbers are, you know what the bottom line is, do you pay attention to that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I mean what I love about, what I love about my job is how varied it is and um I think I get bored really easily. Um, so I couldn't be behind a chair five days a week. I couldn't be in a studio five days a week, six days a week. I couldn't be, um, I don't know, teaching five days. Like I have to have the variety, and I'm so lucky that I get to, I get to work with, you know, on really high level fashion stuff with amazing, amazing photographers. I get to help run salons from whether that be like financial point of view from a education point of view um i mean i'm kind of feel as comfortable sitting in a i don't know um sitting in the studio making pictures as i do behind a chair as i do you know with the accountants i mean that's what i love is the like the massive variation and sometimes it makes your brain completely Frazzle ache, <laughs> yeah. I really ache, but um, sometimes it's um, but I, I think that's the thing, it's like the variation of mm. it all. I, I remember starting and people being like, um, I remember when I was like 17, 18, and I was this little cocky hairdresser that thought he knew everything, and um, going around to agents, like trying to get an agent and trying to get representation, yeah, and um. And everyone's saying, "Oh, you can't, you can't do salon and session. You can't do both." Like, Why not? Like, of course you can. Oh no! At some point, you're going to have to make a choice. I was only thinking about this the other day. I was like, "They all said you have to do one or the other," you know, because at the time you had it was all very separate. So when you say salon and session, do you mean literally salon? You'd be in a chair day in day out, having clients roll in, roll out or you would be travelling around doing shoots. Yeah, exactly. They're and all shows. like, you have to make a decision at one to the other. And I had I had a couple of agents at the beginning that really didn't like the fact they couldn't kind of tell me what to do every day because I had other commitments. Mm. And um, and nearly, I don't know, 18 years on, I still haven't chosen <laughs> between the two. Um, and I think there's been a lot of other people as well that have actually managed to juggle that mm. Thing about doing both like why should we have to do one or the other do you know what I mean so if you've got a bit of a silly season you've got like a load of shoots and you've got lots of travel would you would you almost be like when I get back I just need a day in the salon no I just need a day off <laughs> <laughs> um, so you don't use them to balance each other out or counter the other 
No, I think it's it's a bit it's slightly more organic. I mean, over the past few years, I've I've cut down. I try and commit to doing two like salon behind the chair days where I'm actually doing clients. Well, then in reality, it doesn't really work out like that. It's probably more like one or half. Um, but I, there's this commitment to. I think it's really important that I. Well, a, I enjoy cutting hair. I still enjoy it, and I, I think I probably always enjoy it. And I enjoy it more when I'm, when I when uh, when I'm not stressed, like when you just feel kind of comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important that the team uh, see me cut hair. Um, and I just think it's important to keep doing that. Like like my dad does probably uh, four day, three days, four days a week behind the chair. He does more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's something that's like integrally important to to the business and to the you know to my mind and with I always get a, a feel that it's a creative skill that you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, massively. Um, yeah, massively. I, mean, I can I learn from my assistants. Um, I hope they learn from us. But yeah, you yeah constantly, constantly. I really like that. I know you um, listen to the podcast with Eugene Suleiman. I love the way he mentors. Yeah, I think that um, I was. We were we were in this meeting the other day, um, and someone was talking about. I can't even remember um, some kind of long-winded word about how we have to have like a. What else do we do, kind of, for the greater good like not necessarily charity but it was more like a kind of social responsibility and I sometimes come up with these really weird like analogies and everyone laughs but I do think there's a point to it I said well I think we were a bit like a bit like a teaching hospital and everyone laughed and I said well what I mean is we've churned out we've we've trained so many hairdressers Mm. over 20 years and um, I think what's what I love doing is 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 this idea that people come here and, and they watch and they learn and they, you know, it's just a constant. You, everyone's learning from everyone. I mean, my dad always goes on about you know, you know, the original original surgeons were hairdressers, <laughs> like they were. The barbers were were yeah. like you know were. Oh, I love that. Were surgeons like you needed your leg chopped off like. That's who can who handle a blade around here? Yeah. <laughs> and um, but there's something very like methodical about cutting hair or doing hair to some degree. I know it is there is this like creative element to it. Of course there is, but there's this like very like methodical part to it. Mm. Um, and I I love the fact that you know we can help teach people. You know, in the environments, it's constant watching, learning, watching, learning. I mean, I I probably learn eighty percent of it watching. Mm. You know, I grew up in salons like. So no one taught me really, but you you get taught by just watching and then mm. doing. It's like a constant. It's a constant like evolution. I think, You're constantly growing and learning. It's such an interesting skill, I think. And I was talking to someone the other day who who said, "You would be surprised with hairdressing. One of the things you have to learn to do first is how to hold your scissors." Yeah. It's not like how you're cutting paper, and that takes no. quite a lot of practice. Yeah, that probably is the first thing. Yeah. Um, if someone was listening to this who wanted to get into what you do mm. um, and perhaps didn't quite understand how, what would be your path to success for them? Oh, God. Um, it, it's funny because um, I think it's changed so much now to when 
I started, mm. I sound really like old and old. <laughs> age yourself, you're younger than me. No, but I think the whole, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to sound a bit old and moany now, but I think that um, there's this, there's this weird like, um, there's this weird like need for people to like be instantly successful now. Mm, isn't and, it just? And, and not really without kind of putting in the, the kind of the hard graph that goes alongside it. Are we talking think, about Insta fame? Yeah, like I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of brilliant things about, you know, the web and Instagram and social media, but I also think there's a lot of really, really, really bad things about mm. it as well. Um, and I think that, um, I, I, I think that um, success is perceived really differently now um, to how it used to be. Mm. Like um, I look at some of the like the young kids or like the assistants, and how they and what their kind of um, version of good or success is. And like when I grew up or when I started um, hairdressing, like the greats to me were like obviously my dad, like was is you know a massive, huge inspiration and you know brilliant, probably one of the best like hair cutters. I've ever seen and the way he approaches things is like really really incredible but I think you know Christiane, Sam McKnight, Guido, Eugene you know they were like Trevor Sorby you know they were like there was like a real excellence to what those people oh, did so I love that you know like just brilliant 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 hairdressing mm. um, pioneering as well pioneering but but like dedicated like and I and I think you know I it's sad to say that I, I had a conversation with someone the other day and they said they were showing me like someone's Instagram profile and uh, they were like you know it's great isn't it isn't it great you know this person's got I mean this amount of followers and look, look who they're doing you know and I was like well, what's the hair like I'm not, sound, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sound. I'm not trying to sound negative here, but I think it's kind of really interesting that, um, to me, you know, it's always been about the work, the hair, and yeah, okay. Over the past twenty years, it's, it's become more and more. We've become had a, a bigger celebrity fixation. I think that that's always been there. It's probably grown and Instagram and all that's kind of made it worse to some degree. Mm. But I think what's a, what's a shame is is there seems to be. Um, um, I think what I miss is 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 how we we tend not to kind of elevate people because of their brilliance anymore, or maybe there's less brilliance around. But whereas, like when I look at, I remember looking at like Trevor Sorby's like wedge picture, or like I don't know Christian doing like buzz cuts in the eighties, or uh, I don't know Guido's Versace camper. You know, like I grew up and I was just upset. You know, I looked at pictures and you were like obsessed with like the hair like how do they think of that how do they do that it's so brilliant like and now I think it, it like you don't need to be that good in a way to become maybe it's more throwaway now do you know what I mean but I think it's I think you know for me like I've always maintained this like thing of like when we started this business and like we're try, try, still trying to build it um it's got to be about the work it's got about what we do and it's all it's it's important to have you know celebrities and endorsements and all that but that should sit underneath it it shouldn't sit 
it shouldn't be the I think a lot of the time with brands like celebrities the thing that that propels it before before actually the brand or the person even knows what they're about does that make sense or yeah no, I, know. I think um, I think there are many industries right now that would say a very similar thing I think photographers I feel yeah. I mean, not the kind of photographers that we work with but photographers who there are people who've got beautiful Instagram profiles and they do it with their iPhone mm-hmm. and a photographer who spent a long time training will lose out on a job to somebody like that for example this is a very rough example I have I'm not talking about something I've known about but that would be I would if I was a photographer I'd feel very frustrated by that mm. because my, I would feel like my skill had been devalued I think it's like you know before we started this today you were saying about um, it's figuring out how you use it for your like for the right benefit or for your benefit mm. and I think I was saying this to someone the other day I feel like we're in this we're, we're, we're kind of lucky enough unlucky enough I don't know to be living in this period of like mm. insane change yes like when I started there was <laughs> no mobile phones it was you know we never used a computer for research we went to the library shot um, on film shot on film <laughs> there was no digital cameras um, Instagram didn't exist none of that and then all of a sudden so you've had this massive like um, technological revolution mm. in a way and um, I still feel like we're in the middle of it although I, I think I'm not sure how much more technology we can all absorb um, I wonder kind of how it will all settle do you know what I mean like in five years time like like where will we be because I think it all needs to almost we all need to kind of figure out our place mm. um, you know like I look at what you're doing your podcast are so there's a real place isn't there for that for that where people you can listen to people's stories like that's how we end up doing this because I was like this just I was obsessed with listening to you know Adams and James's and Eugene's and their stories like people's stories so I think it's, it's a way like um, there's a lot of weird things about all the social stuff but I think in a way you know it opens up brilliant things as well mm. it's about I think how we figure out how it's all going to settle down finding everyone's place in, mm. in the new world in a way I think it's kind of interesting not to talk about my podcast really, <laughs> but what you just said just made me think actually it's almost like the anti-selfie yeah because selfie is just complete veneer whereas I sort of set out to do this because I really wanted to get under people's skin mm-hmm. so well yeah. I mean it's definitely it's definitely real isn't it I mean um, there's just I don't know it's a it's a weird it's a weird moment but I think things like this mm-hmm. seem to be kind of definitely like it's about that excellence isn't it it's about that like greatness and I just I think um, it needs more of that it needs more kind of brilliance I feel like I now want to start an excellence academy <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just feels like such a good word to use shall use it in my Instagram post later yeah <laughs> completely like I've missed got the point. very serious very quickly no no I, I think you said something then about how how much technology can we actually absorb which always brings me on to a question that I do like to bring up with a lot of my guests which is about mindfulness and you talked about stress mm. and to, to get to the point um, a lot of people who are creative mm-hmm. will say that they had a miserable time at school really? yes because it's very structured and it's completely at odds with the way that a creative person's brain works mm. I don't even remember my school years very much because I just hung on and I was like I just have to have hope that when I'm 18 things will be okay yeah and I just sort of, I didn't really engage. I was in, I honestly lived in a fantasy world of my so-called life, Jordan Catalano, and I honestly wanted to be a backing singer with Guns N' Roses. So 
but it's 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 interesting that I think when you do have that busy brain and then you get to actually use it in the way that you do and what your work is there has to be some sort of payoff in terms of switching off and there, if there isn't there will be a point where you will say to me in how many years time I, yeah, I, yeah I've started meditating because I think everybody reaches that point where their brains are overloaded and I think a creative brain plus social media can be quite a busy little animal yeah um I'm going to answer it in a couple of parts. Um, oh, I like it. <laughs> um, um, I, I think I've I've always kind of had like a, a certain amount of anxiety, <laughs> like quite an anxious person. And when 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 I'm very stressed, that tends to get or we're very busy, it tends to get worse. Okay. And um, it my anxiety manifests itself in kind of different ways. So. Um, used to be very mental sometimes it can become very physical and that's a journey that I've been on for a long time to try and manage it as best I can does it does it manifest in, a, in the shape of panic no not so much um, not so much panic so no one else would know that I am anxious because it's funny I remember doing being on like really important jobs <laughs> really kind of internally I mean years ago when I was, started I remember being on um, I did it my first big job was like was um, my first like really it's big break Two th- it is 2001 it's so yeah it is see wow. that's the only one damn thing I can find out about you <laughs> um, and it was with Matt and Marcus and I'd never worked with them and I suddenly got kind of shipped out to Sardinia and I had to go on a plane and it was two weeks after 9-11 and um, and that was all just like you know um and just remember, you know, internally being really like churned up, churned up and like l- kind of wanted to throw up. Um, and I remember someone saying, I think it was Giselle, she went, oh, you're very calm. <laughs> and I was like, huh? <laughs> Are you blind? <laughs> you know. Um, she's so into herself, she doesn't yeah. have any empathy. It was just like, because I think people think I'm probably quite calm. Uh, and. Um, that was my point was that um you know anxiety is like it's quite crippling um mm. i mean when i started doing shows and not assisting because i had like a few years of assisting everyone which was amazing but there's no pressure on you in a way because um you go to a show you assist someone you get to learn loads and you have to do it you have to perform but it's very when you when i started getting my own shows i mean for like a week before i'd be like i don't read bad stomach cramps what's wrong with me and i'd never be able to put the two things together do you know what i mean and, and actually, as you get older and you get more experience, I kind of, I now, I'm much better at kind of going, I used to come home um, and say to my wife when we first got to go, oh, I just feel so exhausted. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I should go to the doctor. And she'd be like, um, you've just got off three flights and you haven't been home for 10 days and you've done blah, 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 X, Y, and Z. I'd be like, she's like, are you really surprised you feel like this? And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I never really thought about that because like I'm kind of programmed to like, you know, you keep get the going. job, you keep going, yeah. you do the job, you keep going, you keep going. It's only really when you stop that it all kind of comes out. But I think I've got much better um, of kind of recognising um, balance and um, I, who was it? Someone on your, one of your podcasts said something about, um, it was a hairdresser, I think, um, that said something about how they felt that they got much more from being away from work as they were when they were working 
And was that Paul and Adam? No, it wasn't. It was someone else. And I had this like, I went away. I had a really good like break um, after Christmas, and I went away. And I can now probably for the first time totally understand because I managed to get to a point where I really did like switch off. Totally understand how it's so important to like the time of not doing anything is actually as if not more important at the time as when you're crazy because when you're crazy you can't there's a certain like I don't know when doing shows or pictures and stuff there is a certain kind of weird creativity I think that comes out of being in that weird like panic moment but I also think that's unsustainable so it's so it's so important to be able to step away from things to be able to have some perspective and actually think about things in a calm like measured way I think I'm just starting to like after like 18 years I'm just starting to slightly understand like you talked about meditation mm. and I um, would love to be able to be that person that does meditate and the best um, advice I got from someone recently was um, don't think about it as meditation think about going into a room and doing nothing for 10 minutes and I thought that was amazing because he said if you go into a room and try and think of nothing you will fail you will think of everything you will think of everything <laughs> and so he said just just do nothing just give yourself 10 minutes every day just do nothing and I was like oh that's I mean actually <laughs> I've done that twice <laughs> so I'm not like you know so hopefully I'll get better at it but um but I thought that was kind of a mate that was kind of a, a nice way of thinking of it it's a really nice way of thinking of it I tried downloading so I downloaded Headspace yeah I didn't get, I mean, I gave up. And that was like a year ago, and I only did the free bit. <laughs> so I bought the subscription because I was using it, but then I just, then I've been listening to the Marissa Peer hypnotherapy CDs, and it's like, there's only so much time I can give it. Like, I've got to hustle and make a living. But um, it, it's crucially important. I think if you do have a creative mind, and you talk then about, it's really frenetic when you're backstage at shows, mm -hmm. when you're on shoots, mm -hmm. and the pressure on the creative talent is can be really intense. And I think the pressure, actually makes a lot of people's minds move really really quickly yep. and that's where their flashes of brilliance can come out can do yeah but if you don't then give Bounce your mind the break yeah that's you're screwed when, yeah yeah I think yeah I think I'm getting better at it but I've got a long way to go mm. is it something that having had that break over Christmas that you're right right I will invest in actually making sure that I give it that time I think it's a little bit like um so I got married about a year and a half ago and I think you get a little bit older and you kind of realize there's there's like it's a it's so like the balance is so important like I'm probably as driven if not more driven now than I was 18 years ago like the, that the drive hasn't changed do the goals change yeah the goals change and how do you set goals uh, well, I think as you start achieving things they kind of change mm. um, like when I first started, I, I didn't like, when I was about 18, I had this thing about salons. Like I thought they were really naff. They were really like, there was this, I don't you probably remember, there was this like kind of connection between like how salons were perceived. It was like, I don't know, mid, late 90s. You know, there was like, it was like the height of grunge. So, um, so kind of salon, salons weren't really the place where anything was happening, mm -hmm. you know, like, there was like hairdressers like Guido and James Brown and they were, you know, it was all like, you know, putting a bit of gel on your hair and like no makeup, makeup was the first time it really happened. And so like salons just weren't very cool. And <laughs> to top it off, you had hairdressers doing like from salons doing a lot of like morning TV and 
Um, they, this is kind of like kind of I don't know. To me at the time, I I was just like, oh, I just hate the connection. I hate the, you know, you used to say like, maybe it's how I remember it, but this is my perception of it at the time was like it was just all a bit naff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and the place to be was like was doing pictures and doing shows and. I mean, that's always been like a passion of mine that I wanted to, maybe it was because I wanted to do something slightly different to my dad and make my own mark and da da da, da perhaps. But to me, my goal, going back to your thing about my like goal, my goal was like, I wanted to make salons cool. I wanted it to be like a cool, like I wanted like you to say, oh, the salon or, and, and people like have a, a, a good relationship in their head about what that meant. Because it's like the work that was coming out of salons at the time, I just thought it was really like, Mumsy and naff. I know oh, everyone would hate me for saying that because I was I'm slagging off a period of time, but I just think everyone's very stale, and so I was like, how can we, how can we make salons cool again? And I think that's really massively happened now. Like, not taking all the credit at all because it's <laughs> it's not about that. But um, that was for me a goal, like very very early on. Um, that I. But as you start getting to that, you're like, oh, what's was the it next about thing? Was it about making it younger? Was it about making it... It was like... I, I felt that... Um, so I felt there were kind of connections um, out there that, that didn't kind of give it a particularly, like... Um, what's the word? Um, I, people didn't aspire to go to the salon. When I grew up, and like in the 80s, um, and my dad had salons in Kings Road and Sloan Street it was like this hangout, it was like this place to go, you know, like, it was a bit like of a what scene. What was that? It was like, you know, the 80s, like. Oh my God, I mean, that is when the King's Road was. Yeah, it was like punks yeah. and mods and you had all these like amazing like cultures of people, but you know, it was, it was like, you'd go to, a he- you'd go to, you would go to the salon to get a look, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and that was part of your whole character at that point. And then you got to like, that's what I mean about me kind of knowing like you know I, I was really young at the time but I took a lot of it in mm. but then you got to kind of the 90s it was like grungy so I suppose salons were a bit like mm, what do we do do you know what I mean like Just it wasn't yeah, like, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean it was sort of a bit like mm, um, this weird moment and I think when I started I want I started what did we do we like it, it was all very kind of celebrity and that kind of annoyed me because it wasn't it wasn't like um, I don't know in, in London at the time it wasn't it wasn't like there were great there were there weren't no kind of like London bear I mean you had Kate but Kate was Kate and it was like all very kind of up there wasn't it it was like and so from a salon point of view it was like how do we make this we started doing pictures like for the salon and giving haircuts names trying to make haircuts you know we tried to we, yeah and then we started you know doing shows as salons like you know fashion week and we really I think at the time no one else like salon wise wasn't doing that mm. and so I remember at the time like saying to L'Oreal you've got to get you know you've got to sponsor shows you've got to do this I was way before I mean now like they're all over it yeah. right um, but at the time you know it was, it was all to me it was like how do I make it relevant again like mm. it's because I grew up in a time where like salons were relevant and cool and a place where you got a look and all of a sudden there aren't the, the whole aesthetic isn't about a look it's about looking like you haven't got a look at all, do you know what I mean? Um, and or so, looking like you always have. Yeah. I mean, it was just like long, nothing hair. Yeah. Actually, I remember like 98, 99, I remember assisting 
Sam, like I think it was my first show, like assisting it was, him. This is Sam at night on her first show. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I went to see his agent. I went to see all the agents, and they were like, oh, I think we can put you on the team with Sam. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, I used to stand at the back of... Um, used to stand at the back of like the news agents at school like picking up do you remember that magazine top model and they used to do like a um they used to do like an issue over like one model each it was like one oh i remember seeing these pictures of sam in these magazines you know like in like in l and being like that was just like where i wanted to so i got to assist him i remember watching him i think he was cutting erin o'connor's hair with a razor and i was like that's so cool you know, it was like suddenly he he was giving like girls like those like endy hair. You know, like it wasn't like you know. And I think I went to a Sassoon course to learn how to cut hair, which was the complete opposite of that. You know, everything's very graphic, mm. and perfect, and and I saw something completely different. I thought that was, you know. So and then I remember I remember going on another shoot with another hairdresser, and he had these big clumpy, these straightening eyes. I'd never seen anything like them, um, and you know, just straighten hair like. This is way before GHD or any of that. And so I got hold of them and I, because he said, oh, straighten her hair out. So you use these things. And they were like, amazing. Like nothing, nothing could get your hair. They weighed a ton. They weighed a ton. And they, do you remember? They were like these big black irons. Um, they weren't ceramic. None of that existed. And they just straightened women's hair out, like poker, poker straight, like Japanese hair. Um, and so I came, I was like, I've got to find the manufacturer. And we started selling them. And, you know, and then there was like this whole straight hair thing. So to me, it's always been like, how do you make it cool? How do you make it relevant? And, you know, how do we give people hair that they really want? Because I think at the time, I probably started at a time where it was all just a bit there. I just found it all a bit, I mean, the salon side of it. Yeah. I found it all a bit. But that meant anything was possible in a, in a weird way. It's really frustrating. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, it did. I think the salon side of things has changed massively in the past, I don't know, 10, 12 years, if not longer. I think it's really, it's like, oh, it's a whole new generation of people and I think that's really good. I'm always a bit surprised when I go to the hairdresser because it is a different experience from how it used to be. Is it? I think so, just as a punter. Why? In what sense? Um... It, it's a two-way street. It's a conversation, mm-hmm. and it's much quicker. Yeah. And it's not about. And I'm talking about like back in the day. I suppose when I was a kid, I only went to the hairdressers a few times before I got into this industry. But that was about creating a particular look that you could never maintain. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like it's there's far more personalisation. There's far more personalisation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. I think, but I, I think at the time, I think that. Well, I'm going to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but in fact, I'm not going to blow my own trumpet. I'm going to blow my dad's trumpet because it was his idea. <laughs> but um, there was when was it? 
about 2006, um, we had, there's a point to this story, <laughs> um, I have to remember the point before I kind of whittle on. Um, um, 2006, we had, it was quite a tough time like in the salon, congestion charge just got um, brought in oh, yeah. and it basically wiped out, I don't know, 35% of our business like overnight. Because um, people just didn't know, like, why am I spending eight quid to drive into town, like I think five quid at the time, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, through those times of like problems, you, it makes you think, it makes you like, what can we do, what can we do? And we were sat in this like PR meeting one day and um, my dad came out with, why don't we do a blow dry bar in Topshop? And everyone was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I went, yeah, and we could have menu, we could have like looks. And it was this weird like thing, right? Um, and at the time, and this going back to the point of this before I whittle on, mm. um, the point of this is that at the time I felt like, as you were saying, you used to go to the hairdresser and there was like, it, was, it wasn't very personalised, so everyone would get a blow dry. Mm. Do you know what I mean? In that like, boofy, bad. And I was like, and then the salon at the time, so it goes back to like, we were trying to shake up like salons and make it cooler. I was like, well, there's not just a blow dry. There's a straight. There's a wavy. There's a curly. There's a big. There's a bit big, bit small. You know what I mean? There's all these. Bouncing. This is how it started. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it shouldn't just be a blow dry. Mm. It should be like, it should be this range of looks. And I think, in a way, I think what we were trying to do was like, um, like, make it more personal. Like, make it more individual, and like, try and give all these guys like the expertise of how to do that because I think you know we started doing shows we were kind of experimenting with different techniques and stuff and I, I think that was when it started getting exciting was like how can you, you know, let's give this to people that also puts some autonomy into the clients hands though because mm. they can say really easily because I remember those blow dry bars and I also remember you had the updos as well mm. I think I might have had an updo <laughs> for fashion week because <laughs> I with your whinge no, not with my wind. <laughs> but I had like a really cute one that was all plaited down here. Yeah, yeah. There was a big plait here. Cat did it at the um, Harvey Nichols. Okay. I loved her. Um, and it was, and I would never have gone in and asked for mm. that, but because it was given to me as like, like a menu yeah, option, yeah, yeah. I well, really enjoyed playing. Yeah, and I think that's great. I mean, I think that's great. Like, I think, um, like, I don't know, from a fashion perspective, like, we're not in a it's not like in the 90s and when I started it was like everyone wanted the Jennifer haircut you know it was like the Jennifer Aniston was like the thing and now like the idea of just one haircut for all just seems so weird and wrong right like, do you think it's because people understood that everyone's hair type was different because the fact is that Jennifer Aniston and love the woman don't mm -hmm. get me wrong but she's got very naturally curly hair that when straightened reads as thick mm-hmm and her hair is obviously thick anyway, but it reads as like the perfect straight hair, but her hair is naturally curly. So if I went into a hairdresser and I said, I want Jennifer Aniston's hair from Friends, mm. I couldn't have it. Because my hair's very fine and wispy, it's thin around the front, so it would just get static. Yeah, but I think there was this desire for everyone to have the same thing then, no? Yes, but I think a lot of people just walked around dissatisfied with their <laughs> Jennifer yeah, maybe. and their Rachel. Maybe. Until somebody said, you know, actually with your hair type, if we cut into it a bit, you'll still have a similar shape, but you'll get a bit of movement around the back and it won't be so blah, blah, I think, blah. I really think, um, I think it's more than that. I think hairdressing's changed. I think the way in which it's approached has changed. I mean, I'm gonna sound really arrogant, 
this is meant to be, but I, I, um, uh, I think that um, hairdressing was taught the same way for a long time. You know, yeah. it was taught by a certain disciplines, and I and I think for a long time people got hairdressers, they got quite lazy because it was like, and and I think that. I'm not taking the, the credit for this at all, but I think like over the past 10 years, the idea of having menus, whether that's like the blow dry bars or whether that's just this idea of choice, mm-hmm. it kind of made, um, and I think this whole idea of open, and this is maybe one of the positives of like social and web and all the rest of it, is like it made, um, so when I started, you could only get um, information or know-how from being backstage, right? Mm-hmm. Now you can sit in a bedroom wherever you are and basically see how a look is created. Yeah. So I think that the whole idea of like know-how and you know we were doing kind of like you know messy waves twelve years ago and when we started the blow bar and that was like no one could do it because they didn't have the ability, they didn't know how, they didn't have the know-how. Now everyone is able to do everything within five seconds because it's out there, it's yeah. public, it's um, which is a great thing as well. So it's given. You have I don't to know. have expanded your skill set. Well, you have to because people are demanding that. They know it's possible, and I think that um, it's made hairdresser. It's kind of in a way. It's kind of given. It's probably given hairdressers a bit of a kick uh, mm-hmm. to be like, well, I've got to be able to do this, and I'm going to be able to do that, and I can't just be this hairdresser that stands behind a chair and says, you're going to have this and do it, you know, like mm-hmm. one specific way. I think it's so much more democratic now, isn't it? I mean, that's a good. Mm-hmm. That's an upside of like. Uh, social and the, the web and do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. It does. It, because if you if you see more, the more influences you get, obviously you're going to incorporate that into what you're doing. But even in the sense of like, you know, people like I suppose customers being able to look at videos of like how things are done. So if customers can see that, then hairdressers have got to know how to do it. And I think for a long time there were a lot of hairdressers that were like in salons that just didn't they weren't they weren't kind of I think it wasn't progressing and I think it has massive they learned like, their skill and then that and then that was it was appropriate on that head in the chair at that time yeah and then I think and now you have this whole new wave of like the an industry which is like totally not that it's totally like it's gone 360 it's like you know so th- much choice. Do you feel people are more persuadable in the chair and perhaps also come in with a clearer idea of what they want? Is the, is the relationship between the hairdresser and the client different than it used to be? Um, I don't know really. I think uh, I think we're in a time at the moment where everyone's obsessed with cutting their hair off. Like That's like a confidence thing and that's come from certain like celebrities that have done it and so therefore if so-and-so does it then I could do it I think there's that which is great um, and we're definitely in this time where it's like all about haircuts you know and that's and people are much more confident to be able to to do it I think there's less like horror associations you know what I mean like mm. I think there used to be when I started there was a lot of like oh, women like be like very scared of cutting the hair off mm. um, so I think I don't know I think maybe people are more experimental because they Sorry, I'm chuckling because a few years ago my mother was going through treatment and my hair was really long. It was probably the longest it's ever been, like nape of my, um, small of my back. And uh, it just felt really awful to have really long hair when she was losing hers. Mm. So I went to the hairdresser and I said, um, it was at the end of a press day and I was like, is there any 
you to help me scared. I don't need a blood. I'm so, I hate fuss. So if I can go to a hairdresser and just get the cut and walk out and just shake my hair, I'll do it and then I'll style it at home. I was like, I don't want to take up anyone's time, but I just need to have my hair cut off. <laughs> we had this chat and I told this wonderful, wonderful girl um, about what was going on and she said, okay, let's do this. It's going to be all right. And I was going for, you know, very short. Oh, wow. And uh, we talked about it, talked about it, talked about it. And then she went to go and cut my hair and I just shot forward in the chair. And she said, do we need to have a bigger chat about this? I did it. But it is, there's something really scary about Yeah, massively. Massively. I mean, I think for most people, it's like their security blanket. Mm. Like. Because I was thinking about this the other day. Because I remember years and years and years ago, it used to be this thing that women over 40 couldn't have long hair. Yeah, it's like... And as someone who's 40 this year, I was like, there ain't no way. Yeah. I'm going to go for any crop. No, it's turned on its head. It's like, like who said like who said that? Why is that true? It's I not. Like it's, read it in a magazine. I'm, no, but I think it's... Don't you think, like, we've culturally been, like, maybe growing up, like, our mums or grandmas had shorter hair, so therefore we thought that's how it had to be, and then yeah. now you look at Julianne Moore and you're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. there's... Maybe we're younger for longer as well. Though. I think. Well, I think we're younger of mind and spirit than yeah. our parents' generation yeah. would have been. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of us are still sort of acting slightly teenage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me included. <laughs> um, um, you are also part of the House of Experts, mm-hmm. which I would like to talk to you about. What does that mean? Um. So. Um, about a year and a bit ago, I was invited to be part of a panel of um, experts, I suppose, um, for John Frieda. Now, just to clarify something, because a lot of listeners might not necessarily know, um, brands don't hate each other. If Daniel Hurston and John Frieda were to see each other in the street, they wouldn't have a scrap, would they? Oh, no, no, no. Like, everything's <laughs> quite friendly. No, I've met, um, well, my dad's met um, John many times and actually... Um, cycled to Paris with him for a charity a few years ago yeah no I mean I've got enormous enormous huge respect for John I mean there were two brands growing up like I mean I talked a bit about like the hairdressers that I thought you know were amazing there were two brands growing up that I was in absolute awe of and John Friedman was one of them which was the other um it was Bumble and Bumble but um and I used to use the analogy of kind of I saw us as somewhere in between the two. I mean, this was all. This was yeah. kind of. This was um, when people used to sign and say, "Like, you know, when I was in this mission of like, oh, got to make salons cool and all this." And I was like, <laughs> "Well, you know." Uh, so basically, there's <laughs> there's John Frieda and there's Bumble, and Bumble was only in New York at the time, and it was um, not really. Uh, it was wasn't really, super fashion. It was super fashion, and it was like, and it wasn't a pr- really a product company at the time. It was just like, it, to me, it was just like the height of cool. Like it was like if if I can make if I can make us halfway or even a quarter of the way to what Bumble yeah. had done in New York at that time, I was like, then we've done it. I'd like, that's, that was the mission, right? And then I kind of, but I also loved the kind of, I'd come from a background of um, salons that were kind of, you know, really special places, like nice places to go. And they felt, I don't want to use the word posh, but they felt quite, um, chic right <laughs> so I was like well if you can marry those two yeah. right that would be just mecca yeah. but so that was always I always used to so John Frieda for me was just like um, growing up and I and, uh, so many things that John did and um, like the history of it um, 
so many of the collaborations he did when he was involved when it was his business um, I was just like oh that was that was amazing like you know he did all these collaborations with different hairdressers like with I think Orlando and Serge and Sally Hirschberger and opened salons with them and products with them and I was just like that's just so cool mm. and, and um, Julietta um, from TCS who is TCS um, I, I had oh god sorry I'm just gonna hold the line caller thank god it's Julietta from TCS I had um, she'd worked with John for years yeah so I was always trying to like I was like I just want to work with TCS like for years and then is that one of the reasons why you were so keen to work with TCS well they just like it was so like I'd known Julietta like I think for years she's but very cool so brilliant uh, brilliant and built the most amazing business um, and Joe Jones and you know the whole team we've been working for three years but so that was a, I always make this joke that Joe doesn't believe me I was always wanted to work with you guys <laughs> always, always you know because um, I was like you know part of what John did was yeah. what Julietta and everyone did you know it was um, so I don't know so anyway so going back to your original thing uh, <laughs> about how special so I was invited to this panel um, to be part of this panel um, last year um, which um, John Friedrich called the House of Experts and I think um, that seemed to go really well we did a we did a talk I think um, as part of their press day it was me and um, sat on this panel of um, me and there was um, Kerry Wan who was oh I love Kerry so much just one of like as growing up like you know looking at his pictures like looking at his perfect finger waves and like you know that was like in awe of him and um, there was um Keats, I think, um, who um, I don't know very well, but got to know on the day. And um, Sam McKnight was obviously you know, enormous, like a, a great, you know, a, amazing. Mega, know, mega McKnight. But had to sit on his panel with like in between Sam and Kerry being like, <laughs> you know, scared. Uh, and it, it it was amazing. Like um, Kathleen Bear Murray did an interview and um, with Kathleen. all of us, and it was and it was it was really good actually. Um, and it went all right, and so much so that I think uh, so I expanded the um, kind of relationship with John Frieda and now become their um, UK um, creative director, which has been really amazing. Um, has been an amazing like learning experience, and um, you know, to, to be working with a brand that I actually you know kind of grew up or grew up with, and um, had so much like massive admiration for is like pretty mecca <laughs> it is pretty good um, and also tell me about art and commerce I think this might feed into your work ethic and being insanely creative <laughs> um, so I suppose um, my I always I, I don't feel like I ever really belong anywhere because I, I kind of exist in like lots of different forms like I like I uh, I tend to kind of think like you know I tend to worry about what I put on in the morning because I kind of don't feel like, well, that's, I'm going to have a meeting with, you know, I don't know, our bank manager or have I got, you know, you know, something with John Fried or have I got, am I on a photo shoot or, you know, or am I in the salon? It's all kind of, they're all really weird, they're all really different roles, right? Just as a side note, you know, this is why Mark Zuckerberg wears exactly the same clothes every day. Yeah, maybe I should start doing that. Because it takes, he says, if I, I don't I have, have to you have to worry. have the confidence to do that. No? I mean, I, I just don't know if I do. And sometimes I quite like wearing a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of I like the idea of having a morning 
same ritual where everything is the same. Like you make your bed, you brush your teeth the same way, you have in, you just put on the same clothes, and therefore your mind is already concentrating on your the task at hand, and so you actually deal with that. There's a few people in fashion that do that. Tom I mean, Pat, Ford has a ritual. Yeah, and and Pat McGrath wears the same clothes, and Joe McKenna, who's probably the best fashion stylist in the world, um, is religiously in a white in a white shirt, a grey cashmere jumper and a black pair of Levi's and a pair of New Balance and it's like it's like the same and he has like you know ten of each and just keeps buying the same things and I'm like that's pretty amazing really I actually love it yeah he looks great um but you're more of a creative chameleon yeah so I so I I don't know I've got these kind of lots of different job roles really um and so um, how did I get to art and commerce? So uh, one of my um, one of my you know big kind of pillars of like my work, I suppose, has always been um, about um, session work, making pictures and videos and fashion shows and, and all that stuff. And um, and I started um, doing tests when I was like seventeen. So tests were like just to get pictures for your book, which weirdly now doesn't even exist because. No one, has a, no one has a book. Just no have an Instagram page. Anymore. I know. You I've still got one at home. No I one was, sees it. I was talking to a hairstylist the other day, 25, and I was like, what's, what, do you give a portfolio? And they were like, what's a what? that? <laughs> I know. Used to, like, polish it. <laughs> and it did, like, there was this shop in Covent Garden called Brodie's, I think it was called. And he used to go there, and he, he, they would make the book. So everyone had a book. You a makeup artist, hairdresser, photographer. You all had a book. And there were these beautifully made... Um, leather bound books and everything and it, on beautiful quality like paper yeah it was like paper, acetate yeah. papers that you like with sleeves and you'd have to replace them and then your agent would charge you 50 quid every month to replace them because they wanted to be perfect and they were like yeah, they were like a souped up model portfolio yeah. um, models don't have yeah I know <laughs> they just bring an iPad yeah if that um, and uh, I don't know where I was um, so anyway so uh so yeah, I started testing like really early because I really wanted to, you know, work on that side of things. And um, to cut a long story short, I got I got an amazing break by a lady called Kim Sion, who at the time owned a agency called Smile. Who, what a brilliant name, Kim Sion. Yeah, she was like the powerhouse of like the agents. She represented every amazing photographer at the time. And she, um, I don't know how it happened, but she she came in one day and. Um, cut her hair and I used to give her really bonkers haircuts and then completely out of the blue it was like round about as I said it was like a few weeks after September the 11th because I remember going on plane um, she phoned me up and said oh are you free tomorrow can you go to Sardinia and I was like yeah yeah sure said, what's it for oh, I can't tell you uh, <laughs> did she not tell you because she thought you might <laughs> I just don't know I don't know if it was certain or whatever and then she then I think like a couple hours later she said okay so it's it's this Masonian, it's with Giselle and it's with Matt Marcus and um, yeah you'll be fine um, oh, Guido said if you want to call him you can <laughs> so I was I think 21 or 22 I don't know and I mean even the phone, even the idea of phoning Guido was scary <laughs> but um, so I did that and I and, and it, you know she called me up at the end she said oh, when are you coming in I want to sign you up so she took me on she was like my agent for about years and she really was like I mean people say like 
she, like that was my break like mm. that was like she really something happened because I've been yeah I mean I'm doing kind of bits and pieces I've been doing like you know the Sunday papers and I've been doing like a little bit for ID and this that and the other and then suddenly there's something that just happens and that that happened and um that was amazing um she represented me for a couple of years and then she closed the agency she kind of retired from it all um went on to do other things and um I had another agent um, for 12 years, I think about 12 years, um, called Julian Watson, who just started. And it was an agency that was kind of co-owned between Julian and Guido. Um, so I had to go for a little interview with Guido, for, you know, to get the, like, the green light about whether Julian could take you on. That was horrifically scary at the time, but amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time there was there was me, there was a girl called Samantha Hillaby, who was a great hairdresser, and, um, and they took Paul Hanlon on just after that, just after me. Um, so it was really small, and it was amazing at the time. Um, and then, I've been there 12 years, and then um, I think I just, I'm kind of looking for a change, and um, I changed direction, really, and art and commerce was, I don't know, it's always one of those places that you look at when you start, you know, they represent all the best photographers in the world and you know obviously Guido's there and other amazing hair and makeup artists so um, they, they agreed one well, don't know why <laughs> to take me on uh, I think take I've been there a couple of, well yeah I should take that compliment I know uh, but they did they took me on two, a couple of years ago and and, um, and, that, and it's been really amazing it's been amazing you know a very see. different way of working um, with them an American agency um a very different like mindset but it's you probably like that though don't you yeah it's really kind of got an amazing agent who's a super 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 nice american guy so it's all you know do you like wearing lots of different hats yeah i love it i I love the i think i just get bored easily i went to see this chinese doctor the other day when i was away and he said something like you it was really weird experience like he he didn't tell t- me because I saw one for the it? first time two months ago. He didn't touch me. It was like um, he, he just did a lot of like his hands were kind of just floating above me. I, all I know is I felt amazing afterwards. But he he managed to he managed to say a lot of stuff about me that was really like did on you look point. At your tongue. No. Huh. So not a traditional Chinese. Person. No, he was like a. He was like a Chinese healer, oh. and he um, he said he says you get you get really bored and you need lots of challenges otherwise you panic because I, I I panic a lot <laughs> panic that everything's going wrong it's all going to end tomorrow. How do you like, deal with that though? Because I'm the same. Like my do. I am a, an anxious character. My anxiety levels are always close to the flood wall, <laughs> but in the last two years they have properly flooded and I've experienced anxiety properly for the first time and I didn't know what it was I honestly didn't know what it was for about 18 months I just thought I, I thought I was dying but I was thought something really terrible yeah. was happening to me yeah it's horrific it's, mm. it's the most crippling it's really the most crippling thing I think mm. I mean how did you get how did you get over it um I went home and stood on my parents' doorstep and cried and said, I'm exhausted. And I went to bed in my, <laughs> in my old childhood bedroom 
and rested. For three days, I didn't get out of bed for three days. I was just, it was just physical exhaustion, physical, mental exhaustion, yeah. It was just, and it had just been building up and building up and I was just literally going from one episode of being highly, highly stressed to the next and was in a cycle and just didn't really know what it was. So it was only when I was able to go home and say, I think I just, I think think I need to sleep. It's weird because, um, like, while we're in that, we don't join the dots up and go. Actually, I need to like have a rest or I need to have a break, or because actually, that's what we all need to do. We just kind of ignore it. Mm. I mean, I do. Even my a really good friend of mine, my friend Marcia, phoned me up the other day and she said, "I worry about you because every time I call you, you're working. You mm. never take a weekend off. You're always working." And so she's she's like, I, "I'm going to be texting you, telling you to book a holiday." and stuff like that and I think when you are tend to be creative and you've got you've got hunger and passion you can forget to look after yourself Mass- massively massively I mean I don't know I think I think probably you probably judge yourself more than well, I know I do I judge myself more than really anyone else judges me oh harshest critic mm. and that makes it worse <laughs> when I first published this I was telling Luke before we hit record because Luke has been very generous with his praise for the fact that he's been enjoying the show <laughs> And honestly, when I first published it, it's the first thing I've done on my own. Every everything else I've mm-hmm. ever published or put out there has been behind with a brand, a big magazine, or mm-hmm. what have you. This was just me. This is me going, "Hey, I think you should listen to this." And I felt arrogant. And I felt ridiculous. I uploaded it to iTunes. I turned everything off. I went into my room, lights <laughs> off. Didn't even get on the bed. I just hid on the other side of the bed, and I was like, "No one can find me here." It's, it's scary though isn't it it's like I don't know about you but I I probably ignored social media for a bit too long like I was like oh, I wish it would just go away mm. it'll never catch on <laughs> oh it'll never catch on <laughs> I think I was kind of right about Twitter a bit I was like oh it's not you know because I think it's all changed doesn't it like everyone's yes. Instagramming everyone yeah. was tweeting like but anyway whatever um I, I think like we, it's all about finding how it works for you right it's using absolutely. it like so it feels okay for you I, like that's uh, that's are you talking about to. in terms of anxiety yeah I well anxiety and like the fact that it, it ain't going anywhere <laughs> it's here to stay whether we like it or not and so how do you how do you have it as part of you and get comfortable with it because I battled with it a long time I, I didn't want to do any of it I was like we're not going on Instagram, we're not going on Facebook, da, 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 da. and then you have enough people, especially as a brand, that come into you and say, no, 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 you have to do this. Mm. That sooner or later you realize that as a brand, you have to have it, and it's how you treat that. But as a person, you know, I was never on anything, and then a year ago I started Instagram. Now I really enjoy it, I'm proud of it, but because I felt like I've done it, like, with integrity and, and how I want to do it. Whereas and on I, your terms. Yeah, and on my terms. And I think you look at a lot of people and, you, and it's very easy to, to kind of judge a lot of Instagram. Oh, it's, you know, people want to be famous and it's there's five minutes of fame and you know what I mean? And you slag it off. And so you're like, well, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so if you can get comfortable with doing it your way and doing it a way that you feel is good for you and reflective of you and isn't too kind of egotistical I mean that was my whole thing I don't want to look like I love myself blah, blah, blah. oh so did the ego thing make you feel panicky and make you feel it was probably a bit like you like you load up the podcast and then you hid right yeah. and I'm like mm-hmm. why I mean I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a selfie up and everyone's going to laugh 
and and but then I need to do this I don't need to do that and it's you just don't know because it's all new isn't it so you yeah. don't know how to do it you don't know how to do it and make it alright and I yeah. think if you can just get so I got to I'm taking me a while I got to more like no actually I quite like it now actually I'll look at it and oh, it kind of looks alright maybe <laughs> do you know what I mean like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, tell me because I do because um, obviously having sort of dealt with it myself how do you cope with your anxiety because I had the same thing but I would go on shoots I was on a shoot once a lot of therapy <laughs> really yeah see I think therapy is massively underrated in this country I think it's got still got a taboo I mean I haven't beaten it so I don't have the answer but um, are you able to identify it before yeah, it turns I, something that you can't manage I think I first knew what anxiety was when I was about I don't know 17 um, and to me it was always like a weird funny feeling in my stomach and I just I hated the feeling but it was like it just constantly felt like I was nervous for an exam mm, yes like and I was like what is that hate and I just hated it um, and it would come up I, I would never really be able to make the link between what it was why it was happening so that was even weirder and then it would come and go come and go for years and I think looking back on it it probably spiked when I was very stressed or very nervous about a work thing or a put like you know trying to get out of a bad relationship or like whatever that was and then um i don't know i did quite a few years of like psychoanalysis which like maybe was good or maybe it was good i think it was good uh but at some point i had to stop and i did stop and that was it sounds like do you internalize your anxiety so for people to say you seem really calm was it were you carrying quite a lot of yeah it? I don't think people look at me and think oh he's really out. I'm not outwardly like <laughs> yeah I'm not outwardly like shaking you're feeling like, it on the inside yeah I yeah. would feel it um, and I mean I had a, I had a therapist once who said it's never going to go away <laughs> right uh, I was like well, what, what's the point of me even being here <laughs> like do you know what I mean she said no well you're just going to be able to manage it better so I was like well that's the same as it going away isn't it <laughs> I was like, oh, that used to really annoy me. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so yeah, so I suppose I've always kind of had it, and maybe I've just got a bit better at dealing with it. Um, uh, and I was a complete workaholic, and I've learned to have a bit more balance, which I think is probably helps. By the way, I'm not talking like I'm totally cured. I still have. I don't fair, think anyone I, is. I still have like quite bad bouts of it. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, over the past couple of years. It developed more into kind of health anxiety and um, and so it's something you you live with and you try and manage it and um, drive everyone else mad that's around you. <laughs> so Pixie so Woo, who we obviously all love, um, yeah. Sam and Nick did a video about Sam's anxiety and it, it was on social media so obviously there's going to be positive comments and obviously there's going to be people who are like meh 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 someone put something quite dismissive of oh everyone's talking about anxiety these days and yes they are and it's not because everyone suddenly jumped on a bandwagon it's because I think people actually understood what it feels like that it has a name yes yeah yeah because for years I didn't know I didn't know what the label was mm. um, people yeah, would always say to me oh you're stressed are you just yeah. stressed about the little things I think it's funny because the stress causes the anxiety which then 
makes the stress feel even worse. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe it's just people used to say they were stressed and now they understand the results of the stress. Because the results of stress is anxiety. And anxiety is something you can work on. So actually saying, I'm having issues with anxiety, is a really positive thing. Because as soon as you have a name, you can begin to take steps to help yourself. Yeah, I was listening to, I don't know if it was Marissa Peer or someone else was saying there was this whole, oh God, I've got to look it up, of who it was. But it was it was about making stress making stress your friend. So if you view if you view if you view stress as um, you tell yourself that actually it's just a challenge to, that you're just going to overcome this particular uh, I don't know, thing that you have to do today. If you make friends with it, it becomes um, it, it it doesn't look like stress, and actually your body reacts kindly to it. It's like the fear that you that you associate with the stress that's the damaging part whereas it is that all like about, Marissa Peer's arm thing in yeah bit. I don't it wasn't Marissa Peer it was someone else I have to look it up but it was really it was about how, how you have to make it friendly yeah Marissa Peer's had a version of this which I employed and it really worked so I injured myself in the gym last year I was also hammering myself um, in the weights room because so I was like if I can turn myself into a fat burning machine I'll just be so much happier <laughs> with my life generally but considering I was always stressed, I just put too much stress on my body. And um, so I just walk for an hour every day. Do and you? it's just, and it's yeah. an hour and it's fresh air. And, and the first few weeks I go out and I'm like, this is pathetic, I should be running, I should be doing something else. Listen to her and I would get a go out and I say, it's really good that you're going out for an hour's walk, Emma. Think about how fresh the air's gonna be. And it's amazing how it does change your mind. You just yeah. completely change that dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they say walking's like the best thing you can do, right? Mm. I mean, I need to do more of it. <laughs> I need to do more of a lot of things. <laughs> I need to do... Walking, actually, because I live slightly outside of London, is great. But walking in London, I'm just a stomper with a very angry look on my face, which isn't proper walking, I don't think. <laughs> like most people. I mean, everyone's walking with their face down. I saw a Instagram post the other day about someone in New York that had... There was like a pattern on the... There was like a sign on the floor, wasn't it? Look up, get off your phone. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was really good. I have to find something similar. Now, to end, because my time with you has drawn to a close, um, what other innovations are coming other than the whinge? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, Clipping unicorn fringe? No, I think we did all the we did all the kind of hair pieces at a time when I think that... You know, when everyone loads. Yeah, because I think at the time, I think we launched it, I don't know, 2000 just fairly shortly after we did the blow dry bars because basically everyone had long hair and wanted like a million different ways to wear long hair so I was always using pieces on shoots and you know you still do carry like so much with us mm. um, I was like well we have to make that available to people make it easy um, so I don't know it was a time I think it was a time it was a time that I felt that that was relevant and um, you know um, for us it's always about like adapting um, you know, if we're going to bring something to the market, it's got, it's got to be a real reason. Mm. Like we've never done shampoos and conditioners, like we've never and have never had a reason to or, or want to because there's a lot of people doing it really, really well. So yeah. if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna bring something, it's got to be it's got a real reason for being, and it's got to really got to stand on its own two legs. Mm. So for, for us, it's like well, there's loads of things we're like working on, developing, and you know constant but um, 
I like to think we'd like, we do it all like because there's a reason to do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. More goals to come. Lots more. <laughs> yeah. Whilst measuring everything out with the lovely balance of well, like, yeah. thinking, not doing anything. That's one of the goals, isn't it? Trying to get a bit, a bit more balance. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, on that note, let's find some balance in the rest of our afternoon. Thank you, Lou. Thank you. It's been such Amazing. a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with the show, don't forget you can email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or why not follow me on Twitter. I'm at Emma Guns and I'm also at Emma Guns over on Instagram where my Insta stories sometimes give you a little bit of a sneak peek of who I am recording podcasts with for upcoming shows. Thanks again and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.